The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Are we quite good to each other in a crisis, Colin? What do the history books tell us? That is a great question. And I would imagine initially we're, we're, we're kind of good and supportive. And then we possibly lose uh, a bit of focus and start drifting uh, aside or get a bit confused. Uh, but certainly to start with, we're, we're very good. And I think in a crisis, it is kind of critical that that first response is the key one. And the challenge in the past was it's, it takes a while for you to know what's going on, what is needed, and then to mobilize and get people able to do things. That's certainly been the challenge for the longest time with most disasters. Uh, but I think that started shifting. Uh, in about 2007, thanks to sort of more broad uh, a, a adoption of mobile phones and the ability for infrastructure for getting connections to mobile networks, uh, even if in 2007 we didn't necessarily have the smartphone yet, that would only be introduced that year. Uh, but uh, the sort of very disputed elections in Kenya saw the creation of an app called Ushaidi, which used SMSs and emails uh, for people to uh, text when they saw an incident was happening in a particular uh, place uh, around Kenya, that they could then uh, collect those reports, not take them all as being true, but when many reports are received from a particular place, start giving people a, an indication to say, uh, there are reports, lots of reports coming from this particular area, be mindful, avoid the area, or if they can, work with authorities to say, this is perhaps where, where some intervention is required. And I think that was the, kind of the starting point where we, where we started looking at, like everything else, uh, the way that technology may also be able to assist with these sorts of things. And so this evening, I, I wanted to just touch on some of the uh, methods that are slightly unusual from the more classic ways that we would typically be asked to assist, which is time or, you know, giving goods or giving money, uh, which still remains, you know, the number one priorities and, and, and absolutely critical things. But perhaps we can look at uh, some of the, di the differences. Uh, and even insofar as how those operations are had, and I got to say the uh, South African organization, Gift of the Givers, um, is one such thing that has that has combined the wonderful positives about people wanting to help other people. Ultimately, that's the the number one thing you need. But improving their logistics, their communication, so they run very good websites. They're excellent on social media. They're very available when it comes to talking to media to get the message out about what is needed, where it's needed, who can assist, and what they need. And that I think is now becoming a much more critical part for how people actually assist. It's it's letting us know what's needed and when. Uh, so shall I run through some of these uh, various sections? Please, absolutely. So the standard ones would uh, would be the regular donations. And I, I, I do not want to give any impression that somehow that has changed. So UN programs, food programs, refugee programs uh, for children r remain the big ones. But there's a lot of uh, sort of public-private or, or, or um, civil society sort of uh, groups like Gift of the Givers uh, that make a much bigger part. And as I say, they're starting to use a lot more of the, the, the elements of, of, of tech to be able to enable it, as well as using their own sort of leveraging with, with large corporations. Their challenge is saying, hey, I'm a business. I don't need to know who or how to give. So these uh, companies are excellent intermediaries to make sure that those funds can be securely and safely funneled to where they need it without businesses having to worry about, am I giving this to a scam company? So I've listed a couple online. Um, one that I, I think is worth noting is, is one called the World's Central Kitchen. And it's specifically chefs and, and people who work in the food industry uh, who understand that, you know, after something major has happened, the first thing you need is something to drink, something to eat. Whether you're, uh, you know, part of the emergency relief effort or you're being evacuated or, or need to get something. And so they spring into action at a moment's notice and, and, and get food wherever it's going. Uh, and while many uh, of the, the, the big relief that they do, uh, having been founded by sort of a guy in, in the U.S., they are able to respond and deploy people to be able to, to, to operate now 
in many places, certainly across Europe, uh, America, uh, and it's growing across the rest of the globe, which is pretty good. But then looking at the alternatives, which is kind of what the, what the focus is, would be um, a reference to a tweet that Ukraine's official Twitter account, one that if you aren't following Ukraine's Twitter account, even before this conflict was certainly different to most others. It, it really understood that the kind of brand and the kind of um, personality you adopt when you're on Twitter is very different from being, you know, you walk into a, a government office somewhere in a, in a, in a capital. Um, so they, on the 26th of February, two days after the Russians invaded, they posted a tweet to say, uh, thank you for the support. We're accepting Bitcoin and we're accepting Ether. And I tried to just do a quick little uh, tally to see how much has been uh, been received. Uh, and there's about 180 million rands worth of Bitcoin that was donated, over 100 million rands worth of Ether. And the founder of Polkadot uh, offered uh, $5 million. So also almost about 100 million rand, 70 million rand. Uh, if, if they would if they would add that for donations, which they have now subsequently added, and I assume in time they will add other ones. Um, and uh, the Ethereum founder, uh, Vitaly Buterin, he is uh, Russian-born. He's been tweeting as well to say, one, here's how and what should be done to support Ukraine, but also <laughs> calling for more opportunities for, for Russian citizens who are simply unaware or don't know what to do, and Belarusians for that matter, who, who, who might want to just say, listen, how, how, what can they do when they are aware of it? Because as you know, uh, the new laws have been effectively outlawed, all media except state media, 15-year jail sentences for mentioning things like they are at war as opposed to special military operations, uh, which make it very difficult for anybody to try and protest. So he's looking for digital ways that they can do that. Um, and again, the, the kind of ideas that some people come up with are being very clever because one of the things I figure that is kind of important now is that giving somebody an internet connection during a crisis, including in this situation, the worst case, a war, um, is, is as useful as a weapon in some respects and almost as vital as giving somebody you know, some food or a blanket or something of that nature. And so the, uh, the digital minister for the Ukraine had, had called, called out on Twitter to Elon Musk to say, please, can you make your Starlink network available to us here? Because the, the Russians are looking to take out the communication infrastructure and effectively try and limit what and how they can they can coordinate. Uh, and Elon Musk, you know, at the time, Starlink isn't available everywhere. It wasn't available in Ukraine, uh, but he did manage to get at least one truckload. I saw a picture of a truckload. And a, you'll need a lot more than that, uh, but made the network available. So those who have the, the dishes could, could start using them. Uh, and that has now become active. So that's a, a good step. And I imagine in time, while we'll never lose the, the local ground-based uh, uh, connections, having uh, uh, you know the global satellite networks and, and multiple global satellite networks effectively means that that becomes, again, a lot more of a human right than everybody has got access. So it's one of the things that can be removed under these situations because it's very, very useful. Germany, for example, for any refugees coming across the border, I mentioned Germany, it might be happening to you know the other countries, Poland, Hungary, and, uh, and the rest. But they give uh, refugees a SIM card. Effectively, pop it in your phone, connect to the network, it's pre-charged. Now you can connect back with anybody at home and, and, and get going again. Because typically when you do still cross borders, your phone network and the costs and charges all do become a bit of an issue. So that is a, a, a pretty good one in that regard. And then sticking with the sort of crypto stuff, and you'd imagine, you know, if it wouldn't be 2022, if somebody didn't say, hey, I'm going to try and assist by creating some NFTs. But Time Magazine uh, set its uh, graphic artist to create a, a range of NFTs, which they uh, made available for sale and, and donated all the proceeds. There are a whole bunch of other people creating all sorts of things. And actual simple means are actually creating a difference. One, they, they sort of buoy people's spirits. They, they give the opportunity for some cool little things to be stuck on, and, and protests, et cetera. Um, but for... Uh, Companies like Etsy, eBay, they've actually started prioritizing people who are creating 
creating content or creating stuff in the Ukraine uh, and, and allowing them to sell it, specifically digital content, because, of course, there's not much of a parcel service uh, while you're trying to deal with uh, a whole bunch of tanks. So people are buying these digital uh, certificates and, and, and bits of artwork, et cetera, and, and making some money that way. But what was also very encouraging, which we wouldn't have been able to do until these big platforms came along, is that Airbnb for a while now, but specifically with Ukraine, has made um, the apartments, the, the sort of Airbnb locations that you could have visited in, you know, in, in Kiev and all these other places around Ukraine, available for rent. Not that you could go there, but you could assist the, the host by doing so. And similarly, they've been booking their own host's accommodation in those countries around Ukraine to um, to accommodate refugees and in time uh, maybe move them further afield. I saw a tweet from Brian Chesky the other day, and it was just this most wonderful gesture, wasn't it? I mean, it really was that sense of, of togetherness and anybody could make a contribution and make a, effectively a donation and you, you feel like you're making a contribution. It's great. Yeah, Brian Chesky and, and Dan Price are the two CEOs who don't seem to fit the mold for CEOs. They've, they, they're far too nice. I, I don't quite understand them completely. <laughs> but then here's a, here's a couple of final two kind of crazy ones. I don't know if you recall, in 2016, there was a campaign in Sweden that said, uh, call a Swede. You know, we think if you, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy coming to Sweden. So we've set up this phone number. There's a whole bunch of actual Swedes ready to answer your, your calls. And the, the prime minister at one point was taking calls. Well, People have done the same thing for Russia. CallRussia.org, they're calling it. And they want you to politely ring up somebody in Russia and just let them know that because there is no other independent media there, and the state media effectively says everything is fine, nothing to see here, to let them know that everything that they're hearing is not necessarily true. They're saying, don't be nasty, don't try and shout at people. You know, they are, they're kind of indoctrinated. But just let them know there's other people out there and they know what's going on. And, and aligned with that, is a fantastic thing that Yale University has put together, just listing all of the companies that have put in the sanctions. And the list is at over 300. And I, I'm willing to bet if you name a brand to me, odds are it's not operating, ceased operations or suspended operations yeah. in Russia. And, and I did like one person who'd said, um, they were referring to McDonald's as suspended 850 stores and they called it a no-fry zone over Russia. <laughs> and then the, fi <laughs> the final one I have for you is, is something from our local uh, David Scott of the Kiffness. He's kind of known for people sending him all sorts of cat memes and crazy noises that people do. And then he turns it into some cool sort of sounding thing. Well, there is a, a Ukrainian performer who was in, it was in the US performing and he, and he, he stopped the performances that he was doing. He was on tour to return back to Ukraine and, and do his bit as it were. And he was uh, singing this song. I, I don't specifically know much of it. It's in Ukrainian. Um, and he took it, set it to music and then said, listen, all of the money from that is going to be sent to this Ukrainian foundation to assist with the stuff. Thank you, Colin Cullis with Business Unusual.